0: Hello everyone, welcome back to the Pit Perspective. This is Cameron Scott and today with me I have Ashley Wolf and Megan Skelly. So for this episode, we're gonna be focusing on disability awareness, more specifically Disability Employment Awareness Month for October. Today I had the pleasure of interviewing Tommy Cloyd who has lived with a disability all of his life. I will let him introduce himself now. My name is Tommy Cloyd, that's C-L-O-Y. Uh, I'm
1: originally from Murfreesboro, North Carolina, um, born and raised, but I live in Greenville area right now. I've uh, been here a little over 20 years plus, um, had family members go to ECU, and I've worked in the area for several years as well. I used to work for Verizon Wireless and Radio Shack. Um, now, of course, I work for Disability Advocates and Resource Center. Okay. And so, um, what exactly brought you to Greenville? Um. I guess it was my my younger sister um, started going to school here in, uh, at ECU. Mm-hmm. So I started coming down, helping her, and helping her move in, move around the city, move from one, one apartment to the next, so on and so forth. That's how I got introduced to the Greenville area. Okay. So the podcast is about um, raising awareness for people with disabilities. So how were you diagnosed with your disability? Um, Back when I was born, I am currently 51 years old, so I was born in 1971, and they didn't have the tools that they have now to diagnose, but um, I was uh, born premature, three months, so I was put in an incubator and stayed in the hospital for months until I was big enough and strong enough to come home. Um, They didn't realize I had several palsy, spastic, apoplegia until probably around two, years old when you were supposed to start walking. I never started walking. So they knew something was going on. So at that time, you had to, you know, you had to go to Durham to a children, children's hospital, um, Lennox Bakers Children's Hospital. I think it's now part of Duke University Medical uh, in Durham. But um, that's where I got diagnosed. And I spent probably my early years there getting Physical therapy, have operations, because I've had numerous operations. Um, legs, feet, ankles, knees, hip joints, hamstrings, strength, heel cords. You name it, <laughs> I had it.
2: <laughs> so I think it's really interesting um, how he spent the first, you know, couple years of his life at this Durham Children's Hospital. Um, I can't, you know, imagine what that's like for his parents and what it was like you know, for him, um, I mean, of course, he was so young, he probably wasn't super aware of everything going on. But to have those very early moments of your life spent in a hospital, in an operating room, that must have been difficult for his parents, for sure, because those are the, the times when you're, you know, learning how just to be a human basically and spending time at your home with your parents rather than being in the operating room
3: yeah definitely you'd be required to mature very quick and maturing at that age is not necessarily something it kind of takes away from your childhood a little bit I'm sure that he had you know experiences of like reading children's books and such but like it's just the small things that it makes you wonder how it affects the psychological aspects of like growing up and maturing in that hospital situation
0: right and then a lot of people a lot of able-bodied people take for granted that oh something wrong something is wrong with me I'll just go to the health care center up the street but when you have a disability everyone doesn't focus on or specialize in what you need the care that you need so having to drive and take that drive to an area such as Durham or like a big city from he was in Murf- Murfreesboro so having to take that drive to get care that takes a toll on you too and not everyone has the economic ability to be able to afford a drive like that. So it really takes a toll and it really controls on how well someone can receive care or if they can receive care at all.
2: So obviously it is difficult enough to, to live with a disability, especially something um, like cerebral palsy for him. Um, I can't even imagine, but um, I'm sure that to live part of your life knowing that you don't have government protection, you don't have something, you know, to help you that the government is supporting and can give you, that must be very scary. Um, it's just like maybe if you have a certain mental illness, mental health illness, and you can't get medication you need because it's not available. Something, it's something kind of like that, like that is very scary.
3: Well, it's also wild to think about, I mean, this is relatively recent. This has happened over the past, you know, less than a hundred years, almost what, 50 years now that ADA has been in place. And it's something that, you know, people rely on so heavily because it's necessary for them to have what they need. Um, So I find it so interesting that he grew up without that and then having it later in his life, I'm sure it probably made a huge difference. And, you know, his mental health and exactly what he was experiencing and how he was experiencing his life um it's crazy to think about that it was you know somewhat recent
0: right because also i'm sure he probably couldn't even fathom the thought of having government protection in the first place so it's not like something that oh, other people have it but we don't have it it's something where he didn't even think that was probably possible to have the government backing you and protecting you so Going through just knowing that no one is in your corner besides your family and your support system. Mm-hmm. When it comes to like living in Pitt County or being uh, living here for so long, have you faced discrimination because of your
1: disability? Yes, in a way. Um, I noticed when I came here. Uh, I I went to school in um, D.C. for for a while trying to uh, work on my match. And I noticed up there that they were so, they have progressed so much further than we are here, like for the transportation and services that are available. And when I came back to Greenville area to live, uh, I noticed that the Greenville area, surrounding areas were behind the times as far as transportation and other resources. So I think, um, as far as discriminatory, for me, it's been so discrimination not really in-your-face discrimination necessarily but real subtle things um like i go to apply for a program or or some type of benefit and people will look at me and go oh, you don't need it you have this and, you know you need to have that to get this benefit and that sort of thing mm-hmm. so i think it's been in my case really subtle because people know nowadays that the ada is here and that they could be liable for anything that they
3: might still do or what. really interesting how he makes the connection between, like, the progressiveness, seeing it up north as compared to, like, what it was down in the south in North Carolina. I find it interesting how he makes that connection and then how he subtly noticed, like, smaller things that were happening to him, but still, obviously, it's racism um, no matter what size. And so it's interesting how he noticed not just the people being set further back but also like all of our surrounding like what was going on in north carolina as far as like transportation stuff and the quality of like what we had available here I think. Um, when i was growing up i had no ata That that hadn't been passed yet so I, I had a whole childhood
1: without that protection mm so when it comes to, like, seeking employment, have you have you faced barriers with that, or well, has it been? Very much so. Uh, I've been on several um, interviews throughout my early life um, that didn't go so well. For example, I once went on an interview for a satellite company selling uh, satellite dishes. And my sister and I went together in this particular interview. We went together. And the interview was in Rock Up, North Carolina. So we drove from Greenwood to Rocky Mountain, and she's able-bodied, nothing wrong with her. And we walked in, and the gentleman happened to take me first. Well, he he gave me an interview technically, but he basically already made up his mind that he wasn't going to hire me based on how he was talking and what he was saying. So um, I remained professional, went through with the interview I had to do, and um, when we got done, I, I excused myself and went out to the lobby and sat down and waited because he didn't realize that me and my sister came together. Mm-hmm. So they happened to call her next for her interview, and this particular gentleman, during her interview, talked about me the whole time to her. Oh wow! And at the end of her interview, the gentleman said he he was ready to hire her. He wanted her. He was everything. She she was everything he was looking for, and she. Um, looked at him and kindly said, Sir, I can't accept uh, a job here, and so on and so forth. And he was like, You know, why? You know, is it about the money or whatever, benefits, what have you? She said, No, it's about the fact that you've sat here during my interview and talked about my brother to me during my whole interview. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the first time that she really realized the kind of
3: subtle under the table discrimination that our face and the other people with disabilities face on a day to day. The wild thing about discriminatory actions is like you would never know he would have never known how to not be his sister and that's a mindset thing like it's a mindset of people who just have it implanted and it's been generational that it's been in their brains oh i can talk about him because he's different that's not acceptable and it shouldn't be acceptable in any sense had his sister not been in that situation where she was there and shout out to his sister for being such a good person and for you know loving him like that it's wild to me that he would have never known
2: and you know this being like he mentioned subtle not in your face discrimination um i feel like a lot of people won't discriminate directly to a disabled person's face for two reasons. Number one, it would make them feel horrible for doing it directly to their face because they're um, like, you know, th- that just seems to be a thing like, oh, I don't want to do this to a quote unquote cripple or something like that. But another reason is because oh, they think, oh, well, maybe this disabled person won't be able to understand me, or they, you know, just won't even register it because they're disabled. So I'm going to do it behind their back anyways. some people who don't necessarily
0: have disabilities, how can they be of assistance to somebody who does have a disability or be,
1: bring awareness or be helpful to someone? I think, I think just, just learning about... Different types of disabilities, different types of different people with disabilities. Just educating yourself helps so much because when you're educated, you don't buy into the stereotypes, you don't buy into the lies, and all that other stuff that goes along with with disabilities and the disability life. Because technically, when when you when you talk to someone about disabilities, they already have it in mind. Oh, someone that sits home and doesn't work. And, Uh, leeches off the government for their their whole life and so on and so forth and it's it's not that way the average person with a disability wants to work they want to be productive and part of society but some of us don't have that opportunity I've been blessed that I've had good health enough to be able to work and contribute but everybody doesn't have that I grew up with two friends of mine that weren't able to work so what brought you to the um, disability Advocate resource Center? It was funny as I came here by accident <laughs> I, I I'm I'm ashamed to admit I, I didn't know anything about centers I didn't know anything about uh, what they did and that they were here and that they were across the country I was totally ignorant to that because I was used to not having any 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 benefits or any um, places to go for help or anything like that so I grew up, all I had was just me. So I had to make it regardless. So when I needed, a year, years back, I had shoulder surgery. i tore torn both my rotator cuffs to my shoulders. And I was having my first surgery. And I needed a wheelchair ramp. I didn't have one. I needed one. And someone mentioned to my father a place they could go in the Greenwood area and get a ramp. That's how I got here. My father literally walked in the door and said, so and so sent me here. Uh, to get a, a, a to use, and, and that's how I got started. here. literally needed needed some help, and, I re, and someone referred me. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's yeah, great. I, I lived a whole life and never even, I mean, the concept of having some place to go like this, like a center, never crossed my mind.
3: Interesting how many resources there are available to disabled people that are just not advertised. There's so many things that are available that like people just don't either know about it and whether they're through the government or through local, you know, groups, they just don't have adequate support or adequate, you know, fun, adequate funding to turn around and, you know, tell people about it. So it's really wild that it took him, you know, going through his father in order to find out that there were resources and that there was something for him to be able to go and get and while there are, they are limited, you know, they're across the country, but there's not nearly as many as there probably should be, um, it's definitely important you know, research those things and, you know, advocate for those things for the people in your life who are disabled or who may need those resources, I think. It's so important as an ally to disabled people and to people who have any kind of disability um, to educate yourself on those. It goes back to his entire point about education. If you're educated on those things, you can turn around and, you know, tell that to the people who need them. Like I said before, if his dad had not told him, the fact that he wouldn't have known is like absolutely wild. So being able to be educated and make sure that you're well-rounded in knowing those things, I feel like you could, you know, help save someone's life almost. Because when I
1: was going to school, it was just me. You know, I was older than my other two peers who were disabled. So I had to deal with everything first. I, I had to be the, I don't know, the, the lab rat, the punch bag, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I had to be the one to step up, step into the spotlight, regardless. And uh, that's, that's how it was. And it was, it was tough,
0: but it was, it was good because it growing up like that makes you tough to a certain extent. So being the first one to have to kind of put yourself out there and go through everything, how have you seen, even just the Greenville area or in general, how have you seen the changes over time?
1: I have seen the changes. Um, They've been slowly, slowly but surely. Um, I've seen, uh, like for instance, in the Greenville area, before the the center came along, there was no pedagogy transit for people with disabilities. Um, we had to ride on cabs or walking or what have you. And, um, that was one of the main issues that this place addressed when we opened the doors. Um, people in the community that were disabled were not being able to access public transportation properly. And that was a big issue. Um, so that's definitely improved. Um, a lot of grocery stores, like Francis Food Line, for example, um, They started having carts, electric carts in the stores. I remember having to push a cart. Mm -hmm. And and that was tough. You know, having to put my crutches under the cart and push it. And and buying groceries was an odyssey. By the time you got home, you needed an eight hour rest, you know. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I've seen a lot of things come. Um, A a lot more places are being built with handicap disabled people in line, cuts, electric doors, push buttons, that sort of thing.
3: These are all things that Tony's saying, going back to what you said earlier, Cameron, are able-bodied people we take for granted, you know? That's something I would never think about as far as being able to go into a grocery store and push around a grocery cart. It's not something everyone can do, and that's something that I think slips our day-to-day mind, and something that we should all as humans be more diligent about paying attention to and understanding.
1: This place also um, helped design the front entrance of the hospital. They called us to make sure they were ADA compliant before they finished construction. And believe it or not, they forgot to put in a curb cut. So the day (laughs) day they had the um, ribbon cutting, the gentleman who, who they called and talked to, he couldn't get up on the curb,
0: I just want to say it baffles me that they forgot to put in the curb cut on the sidewalk at a hospital where you have to wheel your patients out in a wheelchair. What were you thinking (laughs) that you forgot to put the curb cut in the front of the hospital? That was just funny to me. Yeah,
2: literally. (laughs) That just shows, that instance just shows that disabled uh, needs are not really at the forefront.
1: Had to go back and modify the sidewalk for put in a curb cut. <laughs> so, yeah, and uh, we also help try to get a lot of sidewalks put in here and also get the ones that are already here cleaned off because a lot of sidewalks had debris or it had a light pole in the middle of it or something. You know, if you're on a walker or in a wheelchair, you need a sidewalk. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Like one of the, one of the, streets here now that they really need one is Evans Street. There's no sidewalk on either, either side of Evans. Oh yeah, I've mm-hmm. noticed this with just the grass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the people in the wheelchair, they can't ride the grass But they get stuck. Mm-hmm. Most wheelchairs are very heavy. I have a wheelchair myself and that weighs probably about 350, 400 pounds. Mm-hmm. And then with me in it, you're talking five 600 pounds. So mm-hmm. you, ride off, you ride off the street into the grass, you're going to start sinking
2: especially with the rain and everything we get around here Mm. so he mentioned just briefly how the land is um low and soft that just makes me and how even with the land in greenville being very low and flat you know obviously he still has issues if he doesn't have you know accessible um like roads or ramps but that just all of that just makes me think of what it's like for um, disabled people in like the mountains um, like in the in the boonies of North Carolina those very very high winding um, hills like that could be even more dangerous especially with somebody in a wheelchair I mean that's just very scary
1: the land really low
0: in salt so what ways do you think Or in what ways does Greenville need to improve when it comes to being accessible?
1: I think the best way to improve improve accessibility here in Greenville is is for us to have a seat at the table. Because if if you're not even at the table, you're not going to get hurt. And entities, businesses, other entities around in the area, they need to include us because our money, is pumped into this city, just like everybody else's. Thanks. I pay for gas, I buy groceries, I take care of my other needs. My money comes out of my pocket into this city. So I, I ought to be able to go and, and ride past at 5, 6, 7 o'clock at night if I want to go to the movies or go grocery shopping or what have you. I mean, I tend to believe that if, if you don't respect my money, and
0: you don't respect me, and I'm not going to pay your business. Right. So for people who want to be advocates themselves, or they want to help bring awareness,
1: what do you suggest that they do? Get involved. Start locally. Charity begins at home.
3: I like that a lot. Charity begins at home. I, I think that that's so true for every single person. Like, you can, even small things that you don't think are significant, going back to the education thing, listening to this podcast, you know, Doing small steps goes such a long way whenever it turns around to being an ally for minority communities. Starting at home and like volunteering and doing that kind of stuff, it just, it impacts way more than
2: you would ever think it does. He mentions to start small and charity begins at home and um, focus on the local um, philanthropy. That really is something to focus on because, you know, in the past, I myself have fallen into the trap of thinking, oh, I can help, uh, you know, large numbers of people by appealing to, like, the the higher up, you know, organizations that are more national or whatnot, or international even, but it will take longer for you to actually see that change happening. You can actually see the positive change happening caused by yourself when you help out people locally first. you can make connections with people, and I think it's more meaningful than just giving money to this, you know, obviously it's good to give money and donations to big, you know, big international organizations and whatnot, but if you want to see quicker um, and more personal, positive change, definitely focus on a local scale. I only thing is
0: really not what you have in your pockets, it's really like what you have in your heart, and communication is honestly free. So if you don't have money to donate to charity or to put towards um, advocating for someone, you can do something as simple as going up to the people who you want to advocate for and talking to them, Um, being a friend to them, or just giving someone the time to tell you about their day. Something as simple as that, because a lot of of the time, people don't want to address people with disabilities or um, minority groups because they feel like they don't have a say or what they say is not important but communication is free simply telling someone telling someone how are you like how was your day asking things like that can really change change someone's whole day so
3: yeah I definitely think there's like almost like a fear of a non-minority person walking up to someone who's in a minority group I think that a lot of times people are scared or nervous that they're going to say something that might you know come off the wrong way which is definitely a thing but if you don't you know, I don't want to say practice going up to them, but, you know, like engage in those conversations. They're important. It's important to expand your cultural, like your backgrounds and what you're hearing and what you're learning. And I think that that definitely starts small and then it, it's not like, you'll find that it's not that scary, I guess, once you do it. Great. Start at your church, you have to. Start at your
1: other organizations like your veteran talk to the VA, talk to other advocacy community agencies that are already doing the work that you think you want to get involved in. They, they need helping hands. Everybody needs a helping hand. Get involved. Locally. You know, a, a lot of people think on a big scale, I need to do this and have $100 million in the bank to, to do what I want to do. Start small. Charity begins at home. So I'll I, I, you can't make other people's lives better if you can't improve your own life. And you, you got to improve your own life first. Vote. Voting is very important. A lot of people with disabilities don't vote. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've met a, a several over the years. I've been here 10 years. I've seen a lot of persons with disabilities who don't vote for one reason or another. I can't say I don't agree or disagree, but still, my belief is People fought and died for me to had a right to vote. And the only way to get my voice heard is to vote. Mm -hmm. Um, Get involved. You know, take a chance. (laughs) I never wanted to work at a center for disability. My dream job was driving a truck. That's what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This never even crossed my mind. I was on the governor's advocacy council in North Carolina when I was in my... When I was in my uh, early teens, like junior high, going into the high school, I was already fighting for rights for people with disabilities. I didn't want to do that, but I did it because I said to myself, if I don't, who will? Mm-hmm. You know, everybody, anybody can sit back and complain, but it takes somebody with grit and they go make a change. And I, I'm not a quitter. <laughs> But yeah, I want to drive a truck. That was my dream. My dad hated it. He was a truck driver. He hated it. Oh, wow. But he never let me get anywhere near a truck. But see, the reason he started driving the truck because that was the only job he could get that paid the maximum amount of money and in insurance. Because I had a pre-existing condition. So, insurance companies wouldn't cover Oh, wow. So. Because you were born, with it. your insurance wouldn't cover it a oh, wow. Never had insurance. My well, parents paid out of pocket thousands of dollars, mm-hmm. co-pays, deductibles, what have you. Because most of says, you know, you don't qualify for insurance because you had a business condition. It's only been in the recent years that I've been able to get insurance. Wow. I have no idea. But most people don't think about it because mm-hmm. well, why would you? Right. You know. Especially if you're able
3: bodied and healthy. That is crazy to think about how much money they poured out of their pockets for something that was not their fault. It was not their reasoning why he was born early and premature. That's not anyone's fault. So it shouldn't turn around to be on anyone's pocket to have to turn around and pay for that. That's absolutely wild. And the fact that, again, it's been recently, like, it's so wild to me that people like have to deal with that in their day-to-day lives. That's probably thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of debt that his family has had to pay off or hasn't paid off that's looming over their heads just to have their child be alive and be you know functioning as close to normal as he can possibly get. For us is even expensive. For able-bodied people, it's an expensive thing. So to have to turn around and search for an insurance plan that will accept you because you are a disabled person and then turn around and have to, like, still pay out of pocket because your cover is not going to cover it. Um, that's wild. Like, just something that, again, able-bodied people don't think about having to do.
1: But, yeah, I've seen the other side of life. I, I've seen people, they pay lip service to you. You know, they talk a game, but then, you know, nothing happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do that. Teachers... Doctors, all of them, yeah. But luckily, like I said, I had a good support network, that good, I had good, a good family around me that pushed me when I didn't want, to. didn't want to go. They said, no, you're going. And they pushed me to do what I didn't want to do. I, I dislike school very much, <laughs> very much. And see, a lot of people don't think about this either. They bused me to school with other persons with disabilities in the county so that school get a kickback from the state. They mm-hmm. get Every time there's a person with a disability in the seat, they get a kickback. They didn't care whether I learned or not. So, yeah, it was tough. 12 years plus, of school was tough. And when I finally graduated high school, I can remember like it was yesterday. I, I walked up on stage to get my right diploma. And, you know, I just walked, I, I couldn't. Couldn't to get on stage. I had to get a friend of mine to help me up on the stage. So I get up on the stage. They call my name, and I reach out for my phone. I look out in the audience, and everybody's on their feet. Wow. <laughs> Standing ovation. Everybody's clapping. People are crying and looking at me. I did not know that people watched me as much as they do. I've been watched my whole life. I've had people to my other jobs and just watch me. And I had one lady when I worked at a Radio Shack. She, she used to come in and I asked her if she needed it, No, I'm just looking. And then one day she came in and she said, "I said, man, do you need anything? No." I said, "Well, well why do you, you know, come in here if you don't?" She says, "I have a disabled son at home and I can't get him to do anything. So coming here, watching you do what you do, it gives me enough courage. Oh, wow. to go home and." I get into to do, to make a move, you know, to work, to do something positive. So that's when I really kind of saw everybody's watching what I do. And so I have to be correct, you know. I fought mm-hmm. the the DMV to get license, drive a license without hand controls. And they didn't put hand controls in my car. I got tired of driving the same car every day. Sometimes I want to drive something different mm-hmm. so I fought the system to get driving myself without hand controls. That was very tough very very tough So when you were so when you were having to fight the system, did you have a strong support system with you like did you have a system? Yeah I did. Um, I didn't have what some people had but I had I had a strong core cool family. Well, a lot of good friends of the family pushing me. And then I had an older gentleman who who was friends of the family. He, he had had a stroke when he was 10 years old. And as the years went by, his condition got worse. Symptoms started showing. But he was the first person with a disability that was older than me doing some of the things I wanted to do. He worked on his car by himself. He painted houses inside and out by himself. He cut grass, did this, did that. He didn't, let, he didn't let disability stop him. He only had one good arm, one good hand, and he did all that stuff. I watched some tie shoes with one hand. Yeah. Unbelievable. I could never do it. He, he could do it, though. Yeah. Can you imagine working on a car with one hand? I can't even work on a car, yeah, I know. too. He can't do it, too. Yeah. He does it with one. Yeah, it was it was awesome. But that was a that was probably the closest role model I had growing up to say, hey, if he did it, I can do it. They got me in the cars, and I wanted something different, so I got an old car, built it myself. I was gonna make, I was gonna have something. I was gonna prove everybody I could have just what they had. I could go out buy one, but I could build one. <laughs> you know? <laughs> can't buy one, but I can build one. So your hobbies, like you're into cars. What else are you the into? Movies, uh, TV. TV was, you know, a lot of people don't realize that when you're sitting around months at a time after an operation, you got cast on, you can't do this, can't do that. TV was an escape. People don't realize the mentality you have to have to stay sane and. Keep in mind, I could, die. I mean, I spent three months on my parents' living room floor on a mattress after an operation, because so I couldn't sleep in the bed, so I couldn't sit up, sit in a chair, nothing like that, so I was lifted on the floor, on a mattress. I had to do everything on the floor,
3: eat, sleep, everything. Another thing, yes, for able-bodied people that you just don't think about. I have always thought about, you know, the operation time, the actual act of having the operation, never thought about how long it truly takes for people to heal up from operation after operation after operation, and how exhausted your body probably is. Like, not only was he probably sleeping on the floor of his parents' house, but I can't imagine, like, how exhausted his body probably was from trying to, like, fight to heal itself and to, like... Go through the trauma of undergoing such like intrusive procedures. It's absolutely like I don't know. I can't imagine
0: them. Really, like he said, he couldn't sit up. He couldn't move, meaning he had to eat on that floor. He had to sleep on that floor. He was bathed. He couldn't bathe himself. Just things like that. Like he said, the mental strength that you have to have to sit there for three months straight and while everybody has to do everything for you, and you can't even move your body, it's crazy.
3: Yeah, there's absolutely no way I could do that. Mm-hmm. Like, I could not, I would go, ap- like, crazy. Mm-hmm.
2: And as able-bodied people, you know, we know that after, if we were in that same situation, like, we would um, not have the experiences that he's had before, of, you know, dealing with being disabled, so we would probably go, you know, crazy. But also, we would, you know, most likely know, like, after this three months is up we'll be back to normal and we'll be we will be you know most likely fully able-bodied like we were before because you know we're probably able to heal much better previously having able-bodied so I can't you know imagine what that's like
3: um yeah yeah it's definitely a process like he probably lives not knowing you know what's next what happens next what's the next procedure I'm gonna have to do and that's a constant thing that's in the back of your mind and, and like.
1: Did that for about four or five months till the cast came off and then it was therapy. This is that help. So my early childhood up until like middle school was just doctors, therapy, surgeries. And that was over and over and over again. And, I, and after every surgery you have to learn to walk. So most people learn one time. I've learned many times. I walk over and over again. The people don't think about all that little stuff. It's the little stuff that gets you. Mm-hmm. During the day, during the week, the month, the year. And I have my I have I have my issues. I, I didn't I didn't come out totally unscathed, but. I think I did pretty good <laughs> compared to most. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, yeah. and uh, when I when I started trying to work, that was a whole different ball game as well. Just like with driving, nobody expected me to do anything. So I never, never talked to a school guidance counselor, and never talked to me about schooling, uh, college, nothing. Cause nobody had any expectations for me. They just had me push me through. You know, get him out of here. You know, we got the money, so we don't don't care
2: what he does after that. When he said, you know, nobody seemed to have any expectations of me, that seems to be a major theme, or maybe the major theme, throughout this entire um, uh, discussion that you had with him, Cameron. that, you know, the people around him, maybe except, you know, his immediate family, who he said he had a strong support system with, except for them, everybody else did not, in society, seem to not have expectations of him actually wanting to do anything, let alone being able to do um, things that able-bodied people would do. And I think that, you know, not believing in somebody doesn't make the situation better. Like, for some, you know, like, if you don't support somebody it's harder for them to do what they want to do and so i think that that's just very it's the right word stupid
3: (laughs) going along with that too having you know less support and then also having that weight of the expectation of all of the eyes he said that he earlier whenever you mentioned like wanting or feeling like he had to perform a certain way for the rest of the community Having that extra weight on top of you and feeling like you need to almost perform in a certain way without that extra support definitely, uh, I'm sure it has an impact on how you act day to day.
0: Yeah, definitely. It just speaks to really it just speaks to Tommy's character and just being able to push through and have the mental strength to that, and it also speaks to his family's character as well. Just having a support system in his intimate um, family with his father and his sister and everything. Imagine people who don't have people in their corner, their story would be completely different. So he really speaks his character. So I literally taught myself how to work on a computer.
1: I taught myself several other skills that I didn't learn when going to school. Because I needed it, so I learned it. <laughs> I borrowed a computer before I even bought one. I bought my first computer, I never, I didn't even know how to put it together. A friend of mine showed me, here. this is what you do, and sat me in front of it, and that's how I started learning computers, taught myself. Mm-hmm. Well, i definitely
0: enjoyed talking to you. Is there anything, like, that you would want people to know? Anything else that you want people to know about you or people with disabilities? Mm-hmm. I guess the thing
1: that I, I would want people to know that we are here Persons with disabilities of all types, kinds, we're here. We're part of the community, we're part of life. We're not going anywhere. And whether you give us an invitation in the door, or we have to break the door down, we're coming. We're coming in. We won't get. I wouldn't say what we're over, but. That's not exactly how I want to say it, but, let's see. We're going to get what we think we deserve. Respect. Money, whatever it is, we're here to stay. And you can't push us under the road, you can't sweep it away, you can't deny us. Because we're here. And that's another thing, you know never put me in a, in a home or anything like that. They were always a hobby. 100%. And I'm, I'm, I'm sad to say a lot of people don't have that. But every person with a disability needs a support support system. So I'm trying to support that work. That's the only way. You can't make it by yourself. You can't do it alone. It's too much. It's too big. No. The, the disability world is too big for you to try to do it by yourself and navigate. You just can't do it. You need help, and you, so you have to have people on the able-bodied side. You have to have people from the older generation. You have to teach the younger generation. Hey, this is how you do this. Especially the people with disabilities come along now, they have way more options than I, than I ever had. You know. They got a problem. They call ADA or they call Disability Rights, North Carolina, or wherever they're at. They they got people to reach out to. I didn't have anybody reach out to. <laughs> that makes a big difference when you fit, when you when you feel like you're not alone. I feel alone a lot, but nowadays, they don't have to feel that way. You know? And there's power in in knowing that you the only one. Going through what you're going through. And the fact that it's temporary. I'm not gonna last. Whatever somebody's going through right now, in high school, middle school, or at a job, temporary. Don't let it stop you. Don't let it stop you. I didn't let anything stop me. I've owned two houses and three cars all by myself. Never asked for a down payment, monthly payment, nothing. Owned two houses three cars all by myself that's great it's more than (laughs) most people have i worked and did it i did it the hard way i hit the streets figured this out figured that out took advantage when i had opportunity and that's what people with disability have to do they got to take advantage of every opportunity no matter how small
3: Alrighty, thank you to Cameron for interviewing Tommy Cloyd, and Tommy, thank you for allowing us to um, interview you and let us have a chance to hear your perspective.
2: Yeah, uh, thanks so much Cameron. I think that all three of us today, and I think all of you guys listening uh, today really gained a new perspective.
0: Really, it's thank you to Tommy. Um, Honestly, the power to push through and persevere through everything that he has gone through is amazing. I really enjoyed interviewing him and listening to his story. Um, stay tuned to The Pit Perspective. You can follow us on Instagram at the.pitt.perspective. We will be coming back with a part two of disability awareness, and I'll be speaking to Tamila Wiggins, who has a unique perspective on disability.